Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Uh, Madam Secretary, could you please call the roll? President Ajami? Aye. Here. Vice President Maxwell? Here. Commissioner Paulson? Commissioner Rivera? Here. Commissioner Stacy? Here. We have a quorum. Due, the, due to the ongoing COVID-19 health emergency and given the public health recommendations issued by the San Francisco Department of Public Health and the emergency orders of the governor and the mayor concerning social distancing and lifting the restrictions on teleconference, this meeting is being held via teleconference and is being televised by SFGTV. For those of you watching the live stream, please be aware that there is a brief time lag between the live meeting and what is being viewed on SFGTV. On behalf of the commission, I would like to extend our thanks to SFGTV staff and SFPUIT staff for their assistance during the meeting. If you wish to make public comment on an item, dial 1-415-655-0001, meeting ID 2490-132-1868, pound pound. To raise your hand to speak, press star three. Please know that you must limit your comment to the topic of the agenda item being discussed unless you are speaking under general public comment. And to remind you, if you do not stay on the topic, the chair can interrupt and ask you to limit your comment to the agenda item. We ask that public comment be made in a civil and respectful manner and that you refrain from the use of profanity. Please address your remarks to the commission as a whole and not to individual commissioners or staff. If you've not already done so, please silence your electronic devices. I'd also like to announce that the, uh, item number 15 has been pulled from the agenda today and will be rescheduled to the meeting of February 28th. Thank you. Before calling the first item, I would like to announce that the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission acknowledges that it owns and are stewards of the unceded lands located within the ethno-historic territory of Moakma Ohlone tribe and other familial descendants of the historic, historic federally recognized Mission San Jose, Verona Band of Alameda County. The SFPUC also recognizes that every citizen residing within the greater Bay Area and has and continues to benefit from the use and occupation of the Moakma Ohlone tribe's aboriginal lands since before and after the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission's founding in 1932. It is vitally important that we not only recognize the history of the tribal lands on which we reside, but also we acknowledge and honor the fact that the Moakma Ohlone people have established a working partnership with the SFUC and are productive and flourishing members within the many greater San Francisco Bay Area communities today. Madam Secretary, please call the next first item. First item is item number three, adopt renewed findings under state urgency legislation to allow hybrid in-person meetings during the COVID-19 emergency and direct the commission secretary to agendize a similar resolution at a commission meeting within the next 30 days. Uh, can we have public comment? Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number three, state urgency legislation, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present who wish to provide comment on item number three? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers with their hands closed? Raised. Madam Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item number three is closed. Colleagues, can I have a motion and a second for Moved. this item? Move to approve. Oh, second. Thank <laughs> you. Uh, could you please uh, call the roll? Commissioner jo or President Jami? Um, yes. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? 
Aye. Commissioner Stacy. Aye. You have four ayes. Uh, item passes. Uh, Madam Secretary, please, please uh, call the next item. Next item is item number four. Approve the minutes of the January 24th, 2023 regular meeting and the January 30th, 2023 special budget hearing. Uh, can we please have a public comment on these items? Actually, colleagues, any comments? Any? No. Okay. Public comment. Thank you. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number four, the minutes, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present to provide comment on item number four, the minutes? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers wishing to be recognized at this time. Thank you. Public comment on item four is closed. Can we have a can I have a motion and a second on the minutes of January twenty fourth, please? Move to approve. Second. Thank you. Can we have a roll call? President Jami? Aye. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. You have four ayes. Minutes pass. Um, can we have uh, another motion and a second on uh, minutes of January thirtieth, please? Move to approve. Second. Madam Secretary, could you please call the roll? President Jemmy? Aye. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. You have four ayes. Both item pass. Um, could you please call the next item, please? Next item is item number five, report of the general manager. Thank you, <coughs> Madam Secretary. Uh, item 5A is a drought condition update from Steve Ritchie. And commissioners, Steve Ritchie, Assistant General Manager for Water. If I could have the slides, please. You'll see not a lot of change uh, taking place. Let's also make sure this is working. We'll change. So the old-fashioned way. Um, so uh, again, reservoir storage uh, has not changed very much. Uh, again, uh, Hetchetchi is you know 300,000 acre feet. Uh, water bank is effectively full. Uh, Calaveras is effectively full, and so uh, overall, our uh, our systems are in pretty good shape. Uh, in terms of storage around the state, uh, as I've often pointed out, in Northern California. Uh, the project reservoirs, particularly Shasta and uh, Oroville, are doing much better than they had been. Uh, so uh, it's looking better around the state. Uh, the California drought monitor starts to reflect this, where you know the areas of darker colors have been fading away. Uh, I just saw the one from last week, and it's, uh, again, a little bit more faded than this. Hetch Hetchy precipitation, uh, you can see here that the precipitation cumulative to date uh, is basically on top of the line for 1983, our wettest year ever. Uh, so that's, uh, that's a great place to be at this time of year. Uh, and you can see the monthly numbers there, uh, you know, with big uh, numbers in December and January after an above average November. Uh, February, uh, we've had a decent start, and actually there's been just a little bit of a uh, addition since this uh, date was published. Same picture for the Bay Area. Uh, big December and January, better than average November. 
uh, and about an inch and a half in February so far. Uh, the upcountry snowpack, again, is you know, just about where it was in 2017 at this time of year, uh, which was our second wettest year ever. So uh, again, pretty good snowpack, and uh, every little bit helps. Uh, I was talking to uh, uh, Margaret Hannaford uh, just yesterday, and she said, well, we got about another inch of snow up in the high country, and you know, an inch here and there isn't a bad thing. Uh, the Tuolumne River water available to the city, uh, again, it's tailed off a little bit, uh, but stream flow is picking up a bit, we'll see. But again, we expect the vast majority of the stream flow to be in the snowmelt period. Uh, and right now, we're at about 514,000 acre feet of Tuolumne River available to the city, uh, with the upcountry storage basically filling up if we get to 621, which is uh, definitely going to happen this year. Uh, the National Precipitation Forecast, uh, this is uh, one of those where you can see that uh, last week up until today wasn't much precipitation in California, but starting today through uh, next week looked like it was going to be a little bit more. Um, I just saw the latest information, and this week isn't going to have that much more. Uh, but the week after that looks good. That was one of the things we see is sometimes the, the first week looks not so good, but that second week is always promising, so we'll see how that plays out. Um, and total deliveries. Uh, again, uh, this compares calendar year 2019 and calendar year 2020, uh, which are the yellow and purple lines for the calendar year on weekly deliveries. The orange line is 2015, which is our lowest man year ever. Uh, and you can see that uh, this year, because of the wet weather in particular, uh, we are below all of those lines. Uh, and uh, in the most recent data, we're still staying below all of those lines. So uh, demands are, are way down right now. Um, and that's really the picture here. Um, I guess I'll, I'll add one thing here because the question often comes up, you know, Steve, are we out of the drought? What should we do about this? And, uh, and my answer is, um, you know, we're in looking really good shape, um, but we have to take into account some other things. One thing in particular is the state of California, what they do, because they've declared a drought emergency requiring certain conservation levels by us uh, and others as well as uh, a drought emergency leading to their authority to curtail. They have not lifted those, so even if we were to say, you know, the drought's over, we would still be under uh, the obligations uh, that the state has laid out for us. Uh, so there's, there's really no point to act now. Uh, I will be recommending that we wait until the middle of April when we have the, the final picture on snowpack before we actually take any action. I'd be happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Mr. Ritchie. I think just reiterating what you just said, we don't know what's going to happen till April, so we'll wait and see how everything is going to unfold. Um, can we have public comment, please, on this item? Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number 5A, the drought conditions update, please press star 3 to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present to provide comment on 5A, the drought condition update? Good afternoon. Peter Dreckmeyer, Policy Director for the Tuolumne River Trust. Nice to see you all in person. Um, something to pay attention to in the next couple of months is watching the snow melt. If it's hot out and a lot of snow melts, uh, San Francisco is going to pick up everything above 2400 CFS. Um, 
mid-April until mid-June, it's 4,000 CFS. So there's that bump in the Raker Act uh, water rights entitlement that makes sure that during what has traditionally been peak snow melt season, the irrigation districts are going to get a lot of water. And I bring this up because with uh, climate change, what we saw in the long-term vulnerability assessment is that there's going to be a shift to earlier runoff, more precipitation falling as rain, less as snow, and the snowpack melting earlier. And the projection is that by 2070, it's going to be about a three-week shift. And this is something I've mentioned before, that um, we took a look at it for specifically for the years of the design drought, and we found that the SFPUC would pick up an additional year's worth of water over that eight and a half years. Um, so this is something that we've brought up before that we'd really like you to take a look at. We've done the work. Someone just needs to check our numbers because I think that's going to um, influence your thinking a little bit on the length of the design drought. And the second thing I want to mention is that sometimes I hear people comment on um, with climate change, we're going to be less reliant on the snowpack. And certainly for California, that's the case. But for the SFPUC, as long as there's space and storage, it doesn't really matter when the snow melt comes. It's going to be captured. It's only in a situation where we're at full storage and the snowpack isn't lasting as long into the summertime that we'll be short a little bit. But on a whole, we're starting with full storage, so we're in good shape. So uh, Hetch Hetchy system is really remarkable. I think we need to appreciate the water rights a little bit more. Thank you. Do we have any other commenters in person? Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers on the line? Madam Secretary, there is one caller in the queue. Hello, caller. I've opened your line. You have two minutes to comment on item 5A. So, Commissioners, my name is Francisco da Costa. I'm a little late joining you all because I've been busy with other things. What I want to say is maybe for the first time in the last 40 years, we've had our reservoirs fully full. And this is a time for reflection, because every time we talk about releasing water, the SFPUC has excuses, whether it be from the staff or whether they are artificially made. Now we have the empirical data. For the first time we know that we have a lot of water. And so I say, who will speak for the salmon? And I say this because don't be talking about environmental issues when you do not know anything much about environmental issues. Environmental issues, maybe the only segment of the population that can talk about environmental issues truly are the indigenous people. I see you are talking from both sides of your mouth. So let's really think about environmental issues in the right way. Thank you very much. Thank you, caller, for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on 5A is closed. Item 5B is um, Commissioner Bond Disclosure Responsibility Training. And 
Nikolai Sklarov will be introducing Mark Blake and Stephen Spitz. We know you have a very busy uh, afternoon today. Uh, we have a very brief but very important uh, presentation to share with you. Uh, we have three bond transactions coming to you in over the next several months. Uh, each enterprise will be issuing bonds. And as we've done in the past, we will provide a brief training for commissioners, and especially as we now have new commissioners uh, joining us, uh, we wanted to repeat that training for you uh, today. So we have two distinguished guests. Uh, Mark Blake is Deputy City Attorney and works with us on all of our bond transactions. And Stephen Spitz is a Senior Counsel with ORIC and has been advising us on our disclosure for a number of years. So without further ado, let me introduce both of them. Do we have the slide deck? Charles, can you bring up the slides, please? Okay. Uh, Madam Chair, members of the committee. Uh, my name is Mark Blake, Deputy City Attorney, and I serve as the Public Finance in-house Attorney for the uh, City Attorney's Office and the Public Utilities Commission. I work on all of the bond issues for the PUC. With me today is Steve Spitz, partner at the law firm of Oric Harrington and Sutcliffe, and Oric has been retained to provide expert advice on disclosure matters uh, relative to bond issues for the PUC. Our presentation today is going to be brief. It's kind of an in-service training. We've, we've got, we do it every couple of years. And it's intended to provide you with a quick overview of your responsibilities under the federal securities laws when you approve bond issues. Um, so the key takeaway for me is summarized on page two of the slide deck. And what that slide summarizes is that, is that when the PUC borrows money from the public capital markets, to finance its capital projects, it does so by means of an official statement. And the official statement is, is a document that serves as the PUC's representation uh, to the marketplace of key indicators of its financial position and, and operating information. Investors will rely on those representations in deciding to make an investment in the PUC's bonds. And what the SEC is concerned about is not dissuading investors from making invest an investment, but simply enabling them to price appropriately the risk associated with an investment in the PUC's bonds. And so the kind of $10,000, uh, you know, kind of uh, advice principle is that all the information that we put into the official statement has to be uh, accurate uh, in all material respects. And so and, and all of our representations in that document will be tested against the anti-fraud provisions uh, in terms of its accuracy and, and, and completeness. And so uh, our training today is designed to give you some tools uh, so that you can discharge your responsibilities um, and, and so that you can take steps to ensure that the PUC uh, doesn't uh, 
have misstatements or omissions in the official statement. So typically, when the package of a bond package comes before you, it will have uh, legal documents in it, you know, relative to the bond issue and the official statement. And so we want to give you some guidance with respect to a review, the review of that official statement uh, and what that document uh, is. And with that, I'll turn it over to Steve and he can make some additional comments and then if you have any questions, we're happy to answer them. Sure, my name is Steve Spitz. I'm a partner at the law firm of Aurora Carrington and Sutcliffe. We are uh, the, um, an engaged to be disclosure counsel to the uh, PUC and have, have served in that role for a number of years. Um, first, wanted to note that in your package is a, a full slide deck uh, and a brief memo, and you're sort of encouraged to review that. Um, as Mark mentioned, uh, the uh, uh, PUC sells revenue bonds in the public capital markets. Uh, that's sold through an offering document referred to as a preliminary official statement, and then after the bonds are sold, that's finalized into a final official statement. Uh, the purpose of a preliminary official statement, as, as Mark mentioned, is to um, enable investors to make an informed investment decision with respect to buying, uh, with respect to buying your bonds. Uh, and to that end, uh, it is important that the preliminary official statement be accurate and complete. Uh, in securities lingo, that means not containing any material misstatements or, omits, or, omit, uh, or material omissions. And as Mark mentioned, that's the SEC's view that as in all matters uh, relating to the governance of the SFPUC, that responsibility for the SFPUC's compliance with federal securities laws uh, ultimately rests on the commissioners. So how do commissioners discharge their duties under the federal securities law? Well, the first and um, perhaps the most important way is by ensuring that there's a good process. Uh, that's, of course, a, a culture of transparency at the PUC. Um, but it's more specifically is to uh, delegate or require of the appropriate senior staff responsibility and then to make sure that, that, um, that those staff are empowered uh, to command the attention of the rest of the organization um, to get the information that's necessary. It's also important to uh, employ uh, outside professionals who are familiar with the securities law requirements, um, both in terms of your, your legal team, your advising team, and then also in the investment bankers you, uh, you choose to do business with. Uh, second, it's important, uh, as Mark mentioned, you'll get in your uh, package um, when you're asked to approve a bond issue, one of the documents will be a draft of the preliminary official statement. It's important that you review that at a high level, not word for word, um, but just at a high level to sort of know what's in there. And you should focus in particular on things that are peculiar, particular interest to you, that you are especially involved, matters that you're involved in um, personally, 
and also to stop and consider other matters, other things that are important that I know as a commissioner that the senior staff to whom we've assigned these duties uh, may not know about. And if you have any concerns, you should bring them uh, about the accuracy or the completeness of what's in the, in the draft. You should bring those to the attention of staff. And if it's a very sensitive matter, um, the city attorney's office is your, is your counsel and you should feel free to speak directly with the, with the city attorney's office. Now, um, finally, I'd, we sort of get the question of, well, what are the kind of things where the circumstances under which commissioners or governing board members can get themselves in trouble? Um, and in our experience, there's sort of you know, four, four ways that sort of come up again and again. Um, the first is by uh, putting up with a, an inadequate process to allowing a, a, a sloppy a process. Um, and the, the second would be uh, to, um, and this is really basic, to, to not have an understanding of what all is going on in the organization. Uh, your basic, you know, fulfilling your basic, uh, your basic duties. Uh, the third would be failing to review the proposed statements, the proposed disclosures to the market at at least a, um, at least at a high level. And then the, the, the fourth problem um, we see is the, you have to avoid succumbing to the temptation to bury bad news. Uh, that if there's things that are saying that, that reflect that the, uh, that the challenges or difficulties, the tendency is to prefer to not say anything about that. Um, but invest, remember that investors know that public agencies have challenges. They know public agencies have uh, difficulties. Uh, if you say you don't have any, that would be a red flag. Um, but investors do need to know about them. They need to know what the challenges you're facing and more particularly how you propose to address them. Uh, with that, we will, Mark and I are available if you have uh, questions or would like more specifics. Any questions, colleagues? No comments? Um, I think you were you. quite clear and thank you so much. Uh, can we have public comment on this item, please? Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number 5B, the Commissioner Bond Disclosure Training, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present to provide comment on item 5B? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are two callers wishing to be recognized. Thank you. Callers, this is on item 5B. Hello, caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes to comment on item 5B. What I want to say is whenever uh, these representatives come and talk about the bond disclosures, nobody does a needs assessment on how the money is spent. So we must ask ourselves, 
Do you have a general manager who knows anything about construction, vertical or horizontal? Do we have any expertise on the commission that knows about engineering? Are we truthful when we say that uh, companies like AACOM, VEPCO, MWH, all these large companies are performing to a higher standard? And if so, I want to know, back to the bond disclosure responsibility training, that we started with six billion, we are now nearing 12 billion, and we are going to be heading to for 20 billion. And is that called responsibility? Is that the way the taxpayers are treated? Is that the way the citizens are treated? Is there any ethics, morals in this way of doing business? And that is what I want to know. All of you are too quiet because you can't say anything, because you don't speak the truth. You lie. Every commission meeting, you lie. Lie, lie, lie. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes to comment on item 5B. I'm Dave Warner from Palo Alto. Uh, thank you for your service. I'm a chief financial officer by training, but only for the private sector, never for a government agency. However, in addition to these bond disclosure obligations, it seems like there's another bond-related fiduciary responsibility that should be mentioned, understanding the reasonableness of the SFPUC's debt. With the proposed capital plan, the SFPUC will have a remarkable $15.7 billion in debt, and this is without alternative water supply investments to be discussed later this year. How will municipal securities markets respond to such a level of debt by one agency? How much debt will the market tolerate? Is there room for additional debt if needed? How much flexibility do we have? How much market risk are we taking on? How will investors respond to 50% of our revenue going to servicing the debt? Maybe you already know answers to these questions. Great. It seems to me that you have a fiduciary responsibility to know the answers to these questions to the point of being able to argue vehemently in favor of taking on this level of debt in the context of knowing how the municipal bond market will respond and the context of knowing what our debt capacity is. Are we giving up our future flexibility? To put the $15.7 billion in context, the state of California has $153 billion in debt. In other words, one municipal agency in San Francisco will have the debt load equal to 10% of the debt load of the state of California. And by the way, California has the third highest debt load, debt load of the 50 state governments. For us, a municipal agency, having a debt load equal to 10% of California's debt load seems like an exceptionally large number. Uh, please take time to consider, please consider taking time to understand the SFPC's debt capacity and how such a large increase will be received by the market. I'll provide a copy of my comments for the record. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item 5B is closed. Thank you, Madam Secretary. Um, just before we move on to item 6, I just wanted to take a minute 
to um, acknowledge uh, the passing of a long-time long, long partner and friend of the PUC in Alameda County, and that's uh, Richard Valle. He was a former member of the Board of Supervisors in Alameda County who recently passed. Uh, our agency first met Supervisor Valle when he was elected to the Alameda County Board of Supervisors in November of 2012 to represent District 2, which includes the cities of Hayward, Newark, Union City, and the town of Sonol. And when he came uh, to office, the SFPUC was in the middle of more than a billion dollars worth of large water system improvement program projects in the Sonol uh, Valley. And he proved to be uh, in, an invaluable ally as we moved through the process. Uh, the supervisor's door was always open to the PUC. He helped us navigate the intricacies of Alameda County politics and the processes to shepherd in the completion of our largest and most complicated projects, most notably the new Calaveras Dam and the future Alameda Creek watershed um, centers. Um, unfortunately, our ratepayers may never know the extent to which we owe him a debt of gratitude for his partnership and support. And the many SFPUC staff that um, had the pleasure of work, uh, working with him were always quick to note his genuine warmth and care for the communities that he served. He was a tireless advocate for Alameda County until the day he passed last week after a long uh, bout with cancer, and he was an unfailing ally of uh, this agency in helping us get our work done. So he will be sorely missed, and we just wanted to acknowledge his passing. Thank you for doing that. That's so important to remember and acknowledge uh, people who have been a set, a instrumental to our agency and our community. Please go ahead. Uh, thank you, Mr. Herrera, for uh, mentioning that, um, not only just for the partnership with the PUC, but also the fact that, um, that you know, he was just such a, a good legislator and, and had such an open-door policy is, uh, is a great example, as, as we are as a regional agency, of just acknowledging on what good partners can be. And even in his community, he was well-respected, you know, as on his legislative side also. So thank you for acknowledging that during this meeting. It was important. Madam President, that concludes my report. Thank you. Um, we do not need to have, we do. Okay, so can we have public comment, please? Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item 5C, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present to provide comment on item 5C? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item 5C is closed. Excellent. Colleagues, if there are no more comments, we can move on to the next item, please, Madam Secretary. Next item is item number 6, your consent calendar. Colleagues, any uh, comments, questions regarding the items that are in the consent calendar? Is that your old, um, yeah. Okay, Commissioner Stacy, please. Uh, thank you. I have a question on item 6B, um, the uh, amendment to the um, contract with AECOM and <clears throat> a couple of other entities. I was a little unclear as to sort of what kind of work they did, what what wastewater services means, and also um, what stormwater services. I was trying to get a sense of the type of work that they were doing, and I went back to the 2018 agenda, but didn't see uh, much more detail there. So I just wanted a brief description. 
Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Paul Sun-Yun from the Wastewater Enterprise. I'm the contract administrator for these contracts. And these contracts um, that we're looking to amend is to provide a wide variety of as-needed services. So they include um, um, it ranges from um, It includes work that uh, we do on green infrastructure. We include work on um, uh, evaluation work. So it, it covers a wide area of work that on an as-needed basis. And would you say that it's sort of a, a data collection and a management function, or are they out in the field doing work? There's work that is, there is work that is done out in the field. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Any other comments? I think one quick comment I think is that some of these contracts is valuable to know if it's good to have, uh, you know, look into having some of them done internally rather than contracting them out. Um, so it, and it's always valuable to have detailed information on what they're doing on the contracts. Please go ahead, yes. Commissioner Riviere. Thank you, President. Um, I just wanted to make a comment on uh, six uh, C, I believe. Is that the uh, pump station? The pump station, correct. Yes. So that um, I just wanted to say that that was one of the first projects that I worked on uh, with fire department, and um, it was a very, very challenging project. Um, I, probably most of our citizens won't even know or be aware that we have this um, amazing. Uh, saltwater pump station right underneath uh, SFFD headquarters and this project actually brought um, uh, you know this this uh, amazing system kind of back to life and uh, I just wanted to comment that the SFPUC members that I worked with at that time were um, just really professional uh, we had so many challenges um, upgrading a hundred year old pump station that's below ground that takes salt water in from the bay, which in itself is an amazing you know, feat of engineering. So to upgrade it and bring it up to today's standards was, um, was very challenging, but I, I just take my hat off to the uh, members of the PUC and uh, Public Works. This is a, uh, a great, great uh, accomplishment on behalf of many departments, and I think it's something that if it ever has to be used, uh, it'll be um, an asset to our uh, our community. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, you you don't have any. Okay. Just follow on to what you mentioned. I think this also was brought up during the comment that was made earlier. Uh, we are operating. We are living in a city that's uh, more than hundred years old, and we are you know reliant on some a lot of infrastructure that is old, and you know a past is uh, design life. So it, it takes a lot of resources, time, uh, money um, to either replace them or upgrade them or operate and, operate and maintain them. So it's important to always um, be mindful of the needs that our system has as we are maintaining what we have and building for the future. Um, if there are no more comments, we can, uh, can we have public comment on this, please? Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item six, the consent calendar, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. 
Do we have any members of the public present to provide comment on item number six? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, we have two callers we should be recognized. Thank you. First caller, your line is open. You have two I minutes. Eileen Vulcan, Coalition for San Francisco Neighborhoods, speaking on my own behalf, urging the commission to sever item 6C, uh, AWAS pump station number one, and 6D, uh, Westside Recycled Water Project. Uh, regarding AWAS pump station number one, this project is similar to public, to the uh, multiple contract modifications and cost overruns as AWAS uh, pump station number two. This small contract was approved in 2014. Here we are in 2023. The original contract was for $7,847,000 for 580 days. After nearly eight years and 15 contract modifications, there is now a 30% cost overrun on a small project. Regarding um, Westside uh, Water Pumps, uh, excuse me, the uh, recycled water facility, I took the tour on November 4th of this facility with the PUC Revenue Bond Oversight Committee. My understanding is that the project was substantially complete and now ready for testing. It's unclear why a request for additional funding and extension of the contract duration is necessary. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes to come in on item six. The commissioners, the previous commentator, a San Franciscan and a woman, very astute, has given y'all empirical data of what is happening on these projects. Some started in 2014, others in 2016 that we are fully aware of. We have pump stations, huge pump stations, all over the city and county of San Francisco. We have them at the Ferry Building. We have them under 150 Executive Park. I do not want to disclose where, where else we have them because of security reasons. But we are aware of it. What we should be aware of is accountability and transparency. What we, the citizens, want our commissioners to ask questions like the one commissioner asked. They have to know how are we spending our money. And why is Aricom always there getting the more than fair share of the money? Where is the accountability? Where is the transparency? And the presenter said nothing. He spoke about greening, and yes, you know, they go in the field and do something. No. The presenter said nothing at all. In any good company, and more in the federal government, presenter would have been. Thank you, call for your comments. I'm sorry, but your time has expired. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. 
Thank you. Public comment. Item, item number six is closed. Commissioner Paulson. Thank you, uh, Madam President. Just, I've been meaning to say this um, for the last few months, and I haven't had an opportunity yet, but um, some of this infrastructure work is being done outside of my house, and it's um, been going on for months now, and there are very few complaints that I've got from the general public, even though once in a while on the street you hear, like, why do they have to dig it up again? Um, and, and, it, and it's pretty wild, and I guess I'm slightly inconvenienced, if that's a word, which I don't think I'm going to use because I haven't been able to park in that area for about you know, about three months right now. But the absolute work that is going on between the sewage and the piping and city workers and contractors and stuff, I mean, it, it's major residential impact work that's going on. And it, it's, it's meticulous. People are clean, they're moving it up. And I guess I'm just noticing as we go through these um, consent calendars off and on, which include, you know, the, the contracts that I, I think we're mostly pretty proud of or we are very proud of um, that. Um, that I just um, just am noting that there's not a lot of public comment unless there's really you know some just you know, very specific issue that has to be dealt with. And I just I'm just really as a commissioner, I'm pretty pleased with uh, what I see around town, and in particular in my particular neighborhood where they're jackhammering and paving and putting in all this wonderful infrastructure off and on. So it's really, uh, it really is I'm proud to be in a city that, you know, is taking care of infrastructure and cares about the basic services that citizens need. So as a commissioner, I just have felt over the last few months that I wanted to say that during the consent calendar. Thank you. Thank you. Um, no more comments, colleagues? Okay, uh, can we have a roll call? Oh, actually, can I have a motion and a second, please? On the second. Can we have a roll call? President Ajami? Aye. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. You have five ayes. Thank you. Item passes. I mean, uh, can we have the next item, please? Next item is item number seven, award contract number WW733 in the amount of $1,698,300 and with a duration of 570 consecutive calendar days to the sole qualified responsible and responsive bidder Pipe Implant Solutions Incorporated. Good afternoon, commissioners. Uh, my name is Bessie Tam. I'm a senior project manager working on collection system projects, including the R&R. Um, before we seek your approval for the agenda item as stated by the Commission Secretary, um, I do want to um, first apologize and also point out we do have a typo in the agenda item, uh, specifically in the resolution on page one, the second to last whereas, about the funding. It should refer to inspection versus cleaning. So the sentence should read, whereas funds are available from project number 10038766, comma, as needed sewer inspection, fiscal year 23. There are also two other places in the staff report in the header on page two that should also say inspection versus cleaning, and also on page one in the funding section. Again, it should say inspection instead of cleaning. But other than that, um, we do seek your approval for this as-needed contract, and I'm happy to answer any questions you have. Um, so lastly, um, I do want to mention that we are seeking for your approval to approve this resolution as amended, um, as described in this um, conversation. Thank you. Colleagues, any need for additional details on this item? Um, 
comments? Thank you. I think it's just important to acknowledge this is this work is so valuable for uh, preserving the health of our pipes and making sure we can catch any uh, problems before they become um, major problems. So um, that's uh, quite important to uh, maintenance of our system. Uh, with that, can we have public comment on this item, please? Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number seven, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present to provide comment on item number seven? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item number seven is closed. Thank you. If there are no more comments, can I have a, a motion and second to approve this item as amended? Move to approve. Second. Thank you. Madam Secretary, could you please call the roll? President Ajami? Aye. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. You have five ayes. Thank you. Item passes. Uh, Madam Secretary, could you please read items 8 through 11? Yes. Item number 8. Public hearing to consider impossible action to amend the fiscal year 2023-24 SFPUC operating budget including the revenue transfer for capital in the amount of $1,785,419,481 in the biennial pro programmatic project budget in the amount of $57,207,941. Item number nine, public hearing to consider impossible action to adopt the SFPUC's 10-year capital plan for fiscal year 2023-24 through fiscal year 2032-33 totaling 8,788,740,352. Item number 10, public hearing to consider impossible action to adopt the fiscal year 2023-24 capital budget of the SFPUC of 1,601,613,100 and authorize a general manager to seek board of supervisors approval for the issuance of one 385 million Nine hundred eighty-five thousand five hundred. I'm sorry, four hundred fifty-three aggregate principal amount of water revenue bonds and other form of indebtedness, including commercial paper and state revolving fund loans, to one billion forty-seven million two hundred eighty-eight thousand two hundred eighty-six aggregate principal amount of wastewater revenue bonds and other form of indebtedness, including commercial paper and state revolving fund loans, and three forty-one million thirty-one. 1,367 aggregate principal amount of power revenue bonds and other forms of indebtedness, including commercial paper and loans subject to terms of charter sections 9.1076 and 9.1078. And item number 11, public hearing to consider impossible action to adopt the SFPUC's 10-year financial plan for fiscal year 2023-24 through fiscal year 2032-33. Good Madam afternoon, Pre President, Vice Madam President. President before we get started, I just want to make sure we have the facts right. In, in um, item one, item one, and item ten, you said 385 million. The number should be 358 million, according to the written documents. Apologize. Nice one. 
Good afternoon, President and Commissioners. My name is Nancy Hom, CFO and Assistant General Manager for Business Services. Today I will be presenting items 8 through 11 for adoption today. May I have the slides, please? Thank you. Um, here's a quick agenda for today's presentation. We have a number of items to cover. For the first segment, I will provide a recap of the hearings we have had thus far. We'll then do a review of the Commission's policies, sorry, the Commission's policies um, that guide our financial planning and budget development, and then share the next steps of our budget timeline. The second and longer segment that I will go through today will be a summary in detail of the four items that you see listed and which will be presented before you today for adoption. Um, so again, a quick recap. This is the third time that we're here getting together to discuss this budget and plan. We've had hearings, uh, two hearings thus far. The first was this past December, where I introduced the budget process and explained our approach and priorities for this budget cycle. Um, then two weeks ago, we had a special meeting on January 30th, where we discussed in detail about the budget and the capital plan. We spent time reviewing our priorities, challenges, and the budget approach and our assistant general managers for each enterprise provided capital budget information for each of their enterprises. These public meetings allowed for us to meet our charter obligations for budget transparency, as well as provide you the background and also the opportunity to ask questions in the lead up to, adopt, to adopting the budget today. Our commission has several established policies that guide our financial planning and budgeting decisions, ensuring we prudently plan for financial sustainability and that we have fair customer rates. These policies are listed here on this slide before you, and specifically I'd like to highlight a few of them. The first is the fund balance reserve policy that helps us ensure we maintain an adequate reserve for unforeseeable events and emergencies in the future. Next is the capital financing policy that guides us and helps us understand how much revenue versus debt we must use to fund our capital programs. And then the debt service coverage policy, which ensures that we have sufficient revenues to pay for our debt financing or our debt service. And then in the red, the, right, the rate payer assurance policy, which guides fairness in rate setting and our ability, our affordability level service limits that helps us limit rate increases to a more affordable amount. The items before you today were developed by, a by the management team and staff in alignment with these policies. And in addition to these policies that guide our financial planning and budgeting, we also have SFPUC strategic priorities. Um, we had gone over these details a while ago back in our December 13th commission meeting, but I'd like to just kind of relist them here again today. Um, there are four that we specifically spoke about, and the first was responsible management that guides us in our, to have a thoughtful and transparent process with deep consideration of our financial sustainability, accountability, and maintaining high ethical standards. And then the second is access and affordability. We want to ensure that our utilities are accessible and that they're affordable to all our customers, and especially to those most uh, in our most vulnerable communities. And the third was environmental stewardship. Uh, we want to ensure that we sustainably manage our natural resources and systems to protect, the to protect our communities, our water, the natural environment, and also the ecosystems that we do affect. And then lastly, we want, we want to support and invest in our people and our communities in visible and meaningful ways. And these include areas such as economic stimulus, providing space for our communities, and then ensuring that we have racial equity and we consider that in our workforce and in our communities. As we've explained, 
The main focus of this year's effort has been to right-size our capital plan, which is our biggest cost driver for deliverability and affordability, which speaks to our goals that I just shared. However, we do recognize that there are other goals and priorities, and they are equally important for our planning process. The budget and the capital plans before you today will enable us to further these goals. And before, you, before we take a deeper look into each of these items uh, here for adoption, these are the next steps that we have after they are approved. The fiscal year 23-24 operating and capital budgets will be submitted to the mayor's office on February 22nd. And through that time, the mayor, their office will review that through the spring and April. The, the city's capital planning committee will also review the capital budget concurrently during this time. And in June, our budget will be submitted to the Board of Supervisors for their review ahead of the new fiscal year for July 1. For water and wastewater and clean power SF rates uh, within the financial plan, those will be, adopt, uh, be adopted by the commission in May when we come to visit you again. So let's talk about the items that we have here before you today. The first one is item eight, and this is the mid-cycle changes to the fiscal year 23-24 operating budget. And as mentioned in previous hearings, we're at the midpoint of our fixed two-year budget cycle. And so again, we're only making critical updates to that budget. This is a high-level view of our operating budget, and you're likely very familiar with this chart by now. It is the proposed 23-24 um, operating budget totaling $1.785 billion, and that has grown about 26% over the past five years, as you see on that bar chart. The pie chart to the right is again the proposed operating budget split out by enterprise. The largest portion is water's budget representing 38% or $674.6 million. It's followed closely by wastewater at 24%, Hetchy at 17% and Clean Power SF at 21%. This next slide is the operating budget again, but in two views, which is uses and sources. First on the left side, the budget is broken out by various cost categories. Capital uses represented in blue is the largest cost driver representing one third of the budget. And all that is all the money that we spent on our capital programs and projects. And that is included, inclusive of debt service, inter, interest and principal repayments. And also revenue funded capital. The second largest, largest cost driver is our power purchases. And that's representative of 26% for Hetchy Power and Clean Power SF. Between these two cost drivers, they account for over half or nearly 60% of our operating budget and, re and represent all, nearly all the budget growth in recent years and that will continue forward into the future. I also want to highlight programmatic projects, again in the left chart, only uh, about 52 million and that's about 3% of the budget as it was noted separately in the agenda before you today. Programmatic projects are considered part of the SFPUC's capital program, but they're not included um, in that budget. They are represented here in operating. They're mainly comprised of annual programs like facilities maintenance and are funded through operating revenues and are not considered part of regular recurring operations. Examples of these costs include planned maintenance of various watershed structures and then also the facilities maintenance of our PUC headquarters at 525 Golden Gate. Lastly, on the right, that part chart is representing the operating budget by revenue sources. You can see that over 90% of our revenues are from the sales of utilities for water, sewer services, and electricity, and they support the costs of their respective enterprises. 
As I mentioned earlier, we're only making minimal changes at this time, but these, do, do, these small changes do add up to a large number at $94 million. We've already reviewed this slide, so I'm not going to go over the individual line items, but I do want to emphasize that these adjustments are actually incremental from the approved budget, the original approved budget for 2023 and 24, the last time we were before you here for that budget back in February 2022. So these are not year-over-year -year changes compared to last fiscal year. Um, the 94 million is a 6% increase over the previously adopted budget. Okay. Next is item nine, the 10-year capital plan. We spent quite a bit of time discussing this at our last meeting. And so I will try to provide a quick recap of this section um, and part of, as part of our overview today. Um, but before I want to begin, I want to highlight that this budget cycle, um, our budget division also introduced its first written report for the 10-year capital plan. So along with these slides, you have quite a large written report that you can reference if you need to. Of course, we will also answer any questions that you have. I also want to thank Laura Bush, um, our SFPUC budget director, you know, her team and our enterprise counterparts have worked very closely over this past year to develop this plan. And it's really been a huge lift and a job that has culminated to this plan that is here before you today. And as, uh, as always, again, we are here to answer any questions that you may have. So how did we approach this year's capital planning process? So one year ago, we started this with an imbalance of $1.3 billion in the capital plan last year in February 2022. Um, and that was due to a lot of questions about deliverability, affordability, and financial sustainability about what was presented. Rather than force balancing by simply enacting long-term rate increases that would affect future years, we decided to proceed with an unbalanced 10-year capital plan and to only propose a one-year balanced capital budget for fiscal year 22-23, which is our current year and right now. Our commitment to this commission at that time was to revisit both the 23-24 capital budget and the 10-year capital plan, which brings us here today. This, this budget season, our goal was to develop a balanced capital budget for fiscal year 23-24 and a 10-year capital plan that meets our agency's needs, informed by ratepayer affordability and deliverability. For each of these areas of focus, what we've considered is that our capital plan is now the largest and, largest and most, um, it's the growing share of our operating costs, representing 33% of that budget. And that there are significant historical and projected rate increases for the next 10 years, which we'll discuss later. We also want to align our capital plan to actual spending capacity and deliverability to ensure financial sustainability to reduce these costs and financial risks. And from this past year's budget development process, the capital planning and delivery programs continued progress, and today's hearing, we gained to seek further insights and lessons from this past year's experiences and to continue, for, and to continue forward with you and together to next year's full two-year budget planning process. Again, staff have worked very hard over the last year on this capital plan, and this slide will go over the process that we followed. In the spring of last year, in 2022, when our bu first budget was approved, we immediately launched the Capital Planning and Delivery Program, our long-term project to identify root causes of capital delivery issues and develop and implement resolutions. We also immediately began preparing for the next budget process and reviewed assumptions in our financial plans. Through the summer, we completed an analysis of historical capital spending versus budget to help inform, inform our deliverability discussions. 
Budget instructions with detailed guidance was provided to enterprise AGMs as they prepared their capital proposals. And through the fall, the Infrastructure Bureau conducted deliverability reviews of capital proposals and finance held weekly meetings with the Executive Steering Committee and the Capital Oversight Group to deliberate on those plans. This past winter, the plans were finalized by staff and approved by our general manager and written report as complete, and we are here to present them to you. And again, an overview was provided in those meetings to, to you. Hopefully, this budget will be adopted by the commission today. And afterwards, the fiscal year 23-24 and, uh, and capital budget will go into effect on July 1st, 2023. The capital planning and delivery program is ongoing and is a multi-year phase project, and we will provide an update to you around June of this year. So you may recognize this table. We are proposing an $8.8 .8 billion balanced capital plan, which is 11% lower than what was presented last year, and that was $9.9 billion. The evolution of this balanced, affordable, and deliverable plan represents the hard work we put into prioritize, where we invest our capital dollars and ensure that we are budgeting that efficiently. The hard choices and actions that were made include a careful review of construction schedules and adjusting for realistic deliverability, including the use of unspent prior year appropriations. We also considered the reduction of costs in the out years to offset near-term increases and investment needs. And there was diligent project prioritization, inclusive of risk assessments and consideration of potential unforeseen costs. We're proud of our work to right-size the capital plan, and it feels, and it rep, we, rep, we feel that it represents the right balance between our investment needs, affordability, and deliverability. Again, here is the 10-year capital plan, totaling approximately 8.8 .8 billion over 10 years. You see, and you're familiar with this already, that it is front load front-loaded with 70% of the spending in the first five years. And this is largely driven by our, our major SSIP investments in the early years of the plan. And these also include major projects in water, such as 2000 Marin and the Millbrae Yards. This is the plan again by sources and uses and also by enterprise. Wastewater is the largest share at 4.9 billion, representing over half of the plan. Water plus Hetchy water total approximately $3.3 billion together. And then power and clean power SF total 700 million. 75% of this plan is funded from debt proceeds and 25% from annual revenues. This aligns with our commission's capital financing policy to fund a minimum of 15% of our capital plan from revenues. There's a lot here and there really is a lot to be proud of. In the next few slides, I will list out major products included in each of, that the, each of the AGMs have provided information about in our previous presentations. And again, these details are also in the written report for your reference. Wastewater's $4.9 billion capital plan includes the following large projects listed here. Um, but I, what I'd like to spend time here is that we did talk at the last meeting about green infrastructure. So I'd like to provide a little bit more details today. We're excited to continue managing stormwater in ways that deliver visible public benefits, such as access to nature, habitat, and ecological function in our communities. Funding green infrastructure has grown by 13% over the last five iterations of our capital plan, and now totals $163 million, and includes uh, green infrastructure grants as well. We believe the budget is sufficient to deliver on the priority projects and further the Commission's green infrastructure goals. 
In this cycle, funding was reduced slightly from the last version of wastewater's initial request in the 10-year capital plan. Um, as some of these projects were moved out of the 10-year horizon for those that were not near or medium-term priorities for our project partners. However, because these green infrastructure opportunities are relatively small investments in the scheme of wastewater's project portfolio, we can always reprioritize scheduling and funding within the 10-year horizon via the rolling capital planning process as new opportunities arise. Also, we are continuously working on our project prioritization to maximize utilization of our funding. So for example, Lincoln High School was one of the projects that was mentioned in the written report. It was originally selected by the school district, the San Francisco School District, working with the SFPUC pre-pandemic. And as since that time, it's been reprioritized and has changed, and our SFUSD partners have told us that they would like to prioritize site selection using environmental justice while keeping Lincoln High School in an opportunities bucket for the future. In the next six months, we will continue to work with the school district to identify and analyze additional sites uh, meeting and meeting about stormwater management and, and their environmental justice goals. We'll reprioritize spending in the next version of 10-year capital plan when we come to a mutual agreement on both sides and these, and these new sites. Schools and parks still remain our top priority and our top partnership targets, and we have enough budget to keep moving in these areas for now. Okay. Water's $2.3 billion capital plan includes the following projects listed here. For water, I do want to share additional information about water main replacement, as that was a question at the last meeting. We believe that the amount in the plan for main replacement is sufficient to keep up with the pace of what is needed and, and does not represent a cut from prior versions of the plan. The final budget of $475 million includes the emergency firefighting water system replacement, pipeline replacement, and represents a reduction from their initial request in the current cycle. So it's not a cut to any existing funding. The amount in the plan dedicated to main replacement has actually grown steadily over four years from $428 million to $475 million um, over the last four years. So that's about $47 million or 11%. We made this decision to reduce the initial request as a result of a deliverability analysis and reprioritization of other projects. So regarding deliverability, Although our target is to replace 15 miles a year, we've not been able to achieve this due to various reasons, including delivery capacity and delays in joint process, projects with the MTA and the Department of Public Works. It hasn't been due to a lack of uh, budget. Um, it's just we've underspent those funds. And the project has been close to, uh, the project still has about 32 million of unspent funds at the beginning of this fiscal year. So the actual average mileage of replacement in the past 11 years has been closer to nine miles per year and with an average spend of about 45 million per year. So looking at that, it's about an average of about $5 million per mile. So the current 10-year capital plan keeps our investments in main replacement fairly steady at an average of about $48 million a year over the 10-year period. Um, there's more dollars in the, in the initial years as specific projects are already been planned and this will drop to about $40 million a year in the outer years of the plan for main replacement. This will allow us to keep up with the current pace of replacement, again, nine to 10 miles on average per year over the 10-year period based on an average recent cost per mile. Uh, we haven't factored in inflation. However, in the out years, we anticipate better technological advancements that may allow us to reduce cost per mile. We're also revisiting the target of 15 miles a year that was set in 2015. 
and instead we want to move towards a model of better risk assessment methodologies that allow for more targeted and strategic replacements, which could reduce costs in the medium term and also adjust any other priorities that we may have. In addition, we'll continue to work via capital planning and delivery um, that program to improve our delivery capacity. But I also want to emphasize that we will have the opportunity to reprioritize this again if needed in the next iteration of the capital plan as we come before you each year. Next is Hetchy Waters' $977 million plan. Key projects are listed here. Again, the details are within your written report. Lastly, Power's $595 million and Clean Power SF's $73 million plan includes these projects listed here. Again, the details are in your written report. So this is probably everyone's favorite slide. So we've shown this at every meeting that we've gone to. This is my color scheme of my house, I think. <laughs> Again, you'll recognize this slide. Um, our planned future spending and consolidated totals are nearly $13 billion. And that includes the unspent appropriations and new projects proposed in this 10-year capital plan for all years. This represents a huge future investment in our systems and the regional economy. Again, this is $13 billion together. Uh, 1.7 is the unspent uh, funds from previous years. 8.8 .8 billion is the 10-year capital plan. And then 2.5 billion is the post-capital uh, improvement plan after the 10 years. So again, our 10-year plan is a snapshot in time of an ongoing capital investment and in our planning outlook. Capital planning, uh, again, is an ongoing process and the PUC's priorities continuously shift. Uh, we will have, again, the opportunity to revisit this um, and respond timely, if, uh, effectively, for emerging, emerging priorities. The purpose of this plan is to efficiently allocate limited funds based on priorities and will always entail trade-offs between competing priorities and requests. We have diligently prioritized and made efforts this year to highlight not only what is in the plan, but also what has been deprioritized. It's typical for a plan to have unmet needs like this, um, but we can't afford to put everything in. Again, 75% of this plan is debt funded, and we issue debt as needed before we spend it. So all this future plan spending here entails a significant amount of new debt, and that's about $6.6 .6 billion. Um, debt in turn, Debt, in turn, uh, affects our customers' rates. So we have two more items left. Our next item is 10, and that is the capital budget for fiscal year 23-24. This is the first year of the 10-year capital plan. So again, another very familiar slide. Um, this shows our for the first year of the 10-year uh, capital plan, and that's fiscal year 23-24's capital budget. There will be four supplemental, separate supplementals, one for each enterprise and program that will be adopted by the mayor in July. The total here is $1.38 billion. And as with the 10-year plan, capital plan, the biggest share here is wastewater, and that is driven by the biosolids project. Our capital budget is partly financed by current year revenues, but is mostly supported by borrowing capital. So to finance our $1.6 billion capital budget, we need to issue debt. Uh, we will seek uh, Board of Supervisor author authorization to do this, so this is also included in the item before you today. The authorization includes the bound amounts needed to finance the projects plus financing costs. And in in those costs include capitalized interest and then the cost of issuing debt. 
That amount here is uh, represented as $1.447 billion. The fiscal year 23-24 capital budget also includes the key following projects for each of the enterprises listed here on these slides. Our AGMs may have presented uh, this to you at our last special meeting. Okay. And lastly, um, the last item here proposed for adoption in this presentation is the 10-year financial plan for fiscal years 23-24 to fiscal year 2032-33. Many of the slides in this segment are new, and so I will take some time to kind of present these to you. Um, and for this segment, I want to thank our acting financial planning director, Erin Corvanova, and her team, and again, our enterprise counterparts for preparing this plan. So what is the 10-year financial plan? Our 10-year financial plan is required by the charter and updated annually uh, on a rolling basis. The plans are complex financial models developed collaboratively with our finance and enterprise counterparts across the SFPUC. So this is a, an agency-wide effort that we embark upon. It contains forecasts of revenues, expenses, and rates, and complies with our financial policies. And as similar to our 10-year capital plan, the 10-year financial plan is complemented by a written report that also provides details on the assumptions, um, the calculations, and the outputs of the plan. And that was also included in your materials. In preparation of the 10-year financial plan, we ensured that it has complied with all the Commission's financial policies uh, that we reviewed earlier today, and that was on slide four. Um, this slide summarizes these policies and the specific metrics that must be met. In the second column, uh, titled Policy Requirements, that shows the minimum or target uh, or the target of each policy metric and the latter columns will detail how each enterprise or program has performed. Through the proposed plan for each uh, enterprise, um, the proposed plan for each enterprise meets all existing financial policies. Though Clean Power SF is currently below its minimum day's cash on hand, which was adopted in April 2022 um, in the new fund balance reserve policy, their current performance is allowed uh, by the policy, but requires a plan to meet that target in a specific amount of years. I'll share that more later in the presentation. This next slide uh, has a table that summarizes their rate increases forecasted for the next three years, um, as well as the average rate increases over the 10 years of the plan. Hedgy power rates for fiscal year 23-24 were approved earlier this year uh, in May. Uh, I'm sorry, last fiscal year in May, and all other rates shown here will be brought to the Commission later this spring or in the year, later years for final approval. Uh, we'll talk more about the drivers of these rate increases later in the presentation, but for now I'd like to highly highlight the 10-year picture. So both retail and wholesale water are forecasted to have moderate rate increases that are more in line with inflation. Clean Power SF rates are forecasted to hold relatively flat. Um, and Hetchy Power and Wastewater have higher rate increases, primarily driven by the growth in their capital programs. So again, we'll look more into more details with those latter two in the later slides. For operating expenses, um, well, we, we use key assumptions uh, here uh, in the preparation of our 10-year uh, financial plan. And so for operating expenses here on the left side in yellow, we began with the proposed fiscal year 23-24 budget 
and then we also applied an execution factor. Uh, we implemented this new methodology this year for both water and wastewater. The execution factor is derived using historical data on actual spend versus budget and serves as a reduction factor. And projects are made from this lower starting base. We haven't applied this methodology yet to Hechi Power or Clean Power SF as this work was part of the water and wastewater cost study. And we'll plan to expand this uh, methodology in the next financial plan to Power and Clean Power SF. The resulting 2 to 4% savings on annual operating expenses is not significant, but the execution factor is just one of the assumptions that we use to ensure our rate proposals are only for what we need. From there, we will adjust the, the fiscal year 23-24 plan uh, to account for inflation. On the right side, which represents capital financing in red, um, this is specifically around our debt issuances and the assumptions that we have to do um, to recognize that there is a big impact on cash flow needs of the enterprises. We assume our projects have interim financing using commercial paper, uh, followed by an issuance of 30-year revenue bonds with a 5% interest rate. Uh, the 5% interest rate is higher than what we use in last year's plans as it reflects the current high interest rate environment that we're in currently. Um, this also does drive up the cost of financing for our projects. And while we are pursuing low-cost federal and state loans such as WIFIA and state revolving fund programs, we don't rely on these savings until the actual agreements have been executed. If we receive more loans or grant awards, they, play, they replace some of these assumed revenue bonds, thus reducing the cost of the plan. At the January 30th, meeting, January 30th meeting, we discussed volume forecasting and the risks involved if sales volumes aren't as we predict. So I'd like to take some time to share two main strategies that we use in the plans to mitigate this uncertainty. The first is that we make low conservative growth assumptions. Higher sales volumes means more revenue, and if growth is assumed, then rates, rates are not raised as much to collect the same amount of money. But if the assumed growth does not happen, that re results in budget shortfalls in our revenue and subsequent need to raise rates higher than we plan to compensate uh, to for the missing revenue. So we don't want to count on growth to absorb our costs. Um, if sales are higher than anticipated, we're able to come back later with lower rate increases in future years. We prefer to bring unexpected good news than to, need to have the need for higher rates than planned. And as a result, our forecast tends towards assumptions that lower sales volumes. And these uh, methodologies that we use include using lower yield utilities usage levels for our projections due to conservation from the drought for water and wastewater, and also as a result of the pandemic for all the enterprises. We are also projecting a slower economic recovery due to the potential for a recession and the recent slowdown of construction in San Francisco. Our plans do assume population and job growth, and we source that information from planning documents, such as the SFPUC's Urban Water Management Plan. But we start our forecast from a lower point uh, using current lower levels, and so our actual projections are lower than what's depicted. Moreover, the Bay Area has historically seen declining water usage at, even as the population has grown. This is possibly due to declining per person water use, and we project that conservation, the trends will continue. And lastly, due to conservation and other factors, such as people using less water when rates increase, the long-term trend line for retail water and wastewater sales is slightly downward, even with a meaningful population growth. And then secondly, however, um, even though we have our best estimates, we can't ever perfectly predict the future. You know, so our second strategy is to retain practices that reduce risk um, that are unexpected, such as the downturn in usage um, that will cause revenue loss. 
First, we are adopting only a few years of rates at a time. This allows us to change course more frequently in response to changing conditions. And for example, Clean Power SF, we're currently adopting rates annually, so we can respond to the volatile power market costs. And then second, our rate structures also assist us. So we utilize some automatic adjustments, such as the drought surcharge in water and wastewater, which increase rates if the commission ever declares a drought emergency, such as current, um, and that calls for conservation. We're also considering changes to the wastewater rate structure to create a stormwater charge, which will increase the portion of rates that are fixed and do not vary based on usage. You'll hear more about that later this spring. So taken together, these tools ensure our financial plans are robust and can withstand against shocks, and that we'll be achieving our goals of financial sustainability. We've already reviewed the water sales volume forecast at our last meeting, so I won't spend too much time here. But the key note here in the takeaway is that both retail and wholesale customers are forecasted to take a few years more to recover from the lows of the current drought and post-pandemic. The shift will then be more towards long-term trend lines driven by some of the factors that we just discussed. On the expenditure side, one of the biggest challenges we anticipate is the wastewater enterprises expenditures that are forecasted to more than double in 10 years. And this is mostly entirely driven by growth in capital expenses, primarily for debt service. Uh, we reviewed this earlier in the plan, um, during the capital plan portion, and that details how over 50% of that plan go towards, goes towards wastewater. And you can see here in year 10, wastewater's <coughs> projected annual expenses will be 812 million, and will be nearly as much as water's 899 million. And unlike water, where the costs are shared between retail and wholesale customers, Wastewater must collect all of its revenue from San Francisco customers. Wastewater's capital plan is the largest financial challenge right now for the PUC. In this chart, this chart shows 20 years of wastewater's capital spending and emphasizes the massive and significant investments that we're seeking to make. That purple bar on this chart represents the annual appropriation for revenue-funded capital. So again, wastewater has the highest percentage of its plan for cash-funded, uh, projects of any enterprise. Revenue financing avoids the cost of borrowing, and that's associated with bonds and loans, but also creates a lot more near-term rate pressure if this burden were not, um, if, rather than if this burden was repaid over multiple years. But unfortunately, we're not able to possibly fund our entire capital plan without taking any debt. The green and blue bars that you see here represent the debt service on our existing revenue bonds and state and federal loans. And on top of that, the red uh, columns show the debt service on over, on over um, the next $4 billion of bonds that we're forecasting to issue over the next 10 years, plus the additional debt we continue to issue past the end of the 10 years. So that was the 6.6 .6 that I was referring to earlier. Due to the delay of projects, um, delay between when a project is appropriate and when bonds are issued, the debt for our entire 10-year plan doesn't really begin to hit until past the time frame that we've shown for 10 years. So to emphasize here, there really isn't a decline in our debt service um, after the 10-year plan. It's actually increasing for, through the 20 years here. And again, we're assuming a 5% interest rate assumption. So SFPUC's capital finance team, led by Nikolai Sparov here today, um, utilizes various strategies to lower the overall cost of our borrowing. Uh, we do debt refinancing, we utilize state and, federal fund, uh, state and federal revolving fund loans, and other strategies that can provide tens of millions in savings, and these are a very important uh, tool that we have. However, at the end of the day, we still need funds to cover the costs of the capital plan, 
and fi financial engineering can't really avoid this piece, and hence the debt that we issue. Um, while investments in, uh, in many cases are necessary and important, the money must come in the form of rate increases. So they're quite significant here. So you'll recognize this graph again. Uh, we had shared this at the last meeting, and again, it highlights the combined water wastewater bill for the average single family residential household. Um, you can see that growing 90% over 10 years from $138 a month currently today to $224 a month by 2032. Uh, and for water, wastewater, this projected growth continues past the 10 years with an average monthly bill of $305 20 years from now. And as we shared previously, this does meet current affordability, the current affordability target of 2.5% of the median household income represented by the red dashed line. But really, you know, we, we have to ask that question, you know, is a bill of a few hundred dollars truly affordable? And so we will return to the commission later this spring with more information on our proposed metrics that look at affordability for our customers who face a disproportionate burden from our utility bills and what we would like to do for affordability. So last, the turning to the power enterprise, uh, we'll just discuss volume growth real quickly. While Clean Power SF forecasts mostly flat volumes, Hetchy Power's plan assumes a significant amount of new customer connections. And that leads to a 4% annual growth in sales volumes over the next 10 years. And as we discussed earlier, the plan incorporates various conservative assumptions, such as delays in construction and reductions to the total forecast load for a new building. Nonetheless, this growth is not materializing as a risk for Hetchy Power, as it seeks to build out its in-city capital infrastructure to serve these customers. And at the same time, Hetch Hetchy Power and Clean Power SF are facing an unprecedented spike in power supply costs. This chart shows the annual actual projected energy price per megawatt hour for recent and future years for one of the main power market regions in Northern California. Uh, what has been a downward trend uh, for, with new cheaper renewable sources has now begun to jump up to almost four times of what it cost in 2020. These are due to supply chain issues from COVID, weather patterns such as heat waves, the drought, and specifically the impact of the war in Ukraine. Um, though we forecast that things may improve in 2024, this is difficult to predict, and we will rework our financial plans with a much higher power market price assumptions for the CFO future. Um, with this volatile variability, we've increased the budgeted contingency as well for our fluctuations beyond our projections. Uh, one of the things that I want to highlight is that for Hetchy Power, uh, we also pay for transmission and distribution fees. Um, that to move our power using their, uh, their assets that we obviously do not own. And so one of these charges is called the wholesale distribution tariff. You might refer to it as the WIDIT. Um, it is used to pay PG&E to distribute our power uh, to infill customers throughout San Francisco and who aren't directly connected to our high voltage system. The WIDIT costs have also increased significantly due to PG's own cost increases and a new calculation methodology. And so these all impact our purchase supply and delivery costs, and those increases have been quite shocking for Hetchy Power. So there's a lot of change forecasted in Hetchy Power over the next 10 years. This graph shows their annual expenses over time, and we've also added prior years to illustrate how a big shift in this program is, is, is happening. Two years ago, purchase power supply, transmission and distribution charges in purple were only $43 million or 22% of their budget. Now they're projected to be $113 million or 40% of their annual costs through the 10-year plan. And what you could look at it this way is that they're basically $100 million higher than they were last year. So again, 
$100 million. That's a 50% increase in total costs in just two years. So while we can control our own expenses for operating, it's much more challenging to do anything about these changes as they certainly do require some level of rate increase to absorb the increased expense. And the account, we have to account for the variability in the power prices to make forecasting uncertain, that make forecasting uncertain. So we do have an annual budgeted contingency for power supply that has been increased from $4 million to $8 million annually through the plan. And notably in this chart, the growth in Hetchy Power's capital expenditures, noted in green and yellow, those are revenue-funded capital and debt services representing only 2% of their annual costs, but that will rise to 18% at the end of the 10 years. So the last few slides here. Um, this table details the impact of the cost increases that we just discussed and projects the rate increases for both Hetchy Power and Clean Power SF. Both programs have high short-term rate increases to account for the recent spike in power purchase supply costs. Thank you. Um, in Clean Power SF, uh, rate increases are mostly flat in the later years, though this might change pending the power markets. And then, as noted, Clean Power SF rate changes listed are only for the generation portion of the bill controlled by Clean Power SF. So the total bill here does include PG&E's delivery charges and fees. So though Clean Power SF rates only represent a third of their costs, that 15% increase you see there for Clean Power SF uh, forecasted next year works out to about a 5% increase in the total bill. In Hetchy Power, the rate increases do decrease from the initial high levels but do not cease. They steadily increase over time. Um, it is driven by the growing capital costs that we discussed earlier. Though these increases are looking significant, it's worth noting that PG&E also faces the same market volatility and will implement large rate increases as well. So we're forecasting that for both Hetchy Power and Clean Power SF rates uh, for next fiscal year, they will be lower than the equivalent PG&E rate, PG rates that were effective January. So that uh, concludes my presentation. I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, colleagues, questions? Commissioner Max. Thank you. Well done. Um, thank you very much. Your presentation was good. Your voice was carried. I mean, I was like really into it, and I've, seen, and I've heard it all before. So I just wanted to thank you for that. and. Um, and, and I, I appreciate some of the changes that I've seen, and, and I want to make that noted. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. It was well done. Thank You're you. welcome. Any other comments? Okay, I actually want to make a few comments. One, I, one is that uh, I do appreciate staff's um, hard work to answering some of these questions. We, a uh, number of us, have had the opportunity to uh, have conversations and meetings with the staff to better understand what what is in the budget, how uh, every one of these decisions have been made, if uh, there are needs for revisiting and reconsidering. And uh, all those meetings have been quite reassuring. Um, I think uh, you know we definitely appreciated some of the uh, details have, have, that have gone into the decision-making process. Um, I personally have asked staff to be 
a little bit more forthcoming with their uh, presentations, we'll focus on better communicating some of the processes that goes into their decision makings, not just for us, but also for the public to know how much work and time goes into every one of these decisions and they're not just made on the whim. So, um, of, of course, we know they have not made on the whim, but it's important to communicate that. Um, we live in an era that everybody is attached to 140 characters and making sure everything is communicated over and over again. So I think it's important to kind of, as a utility, we make sure we can capture um, uh, the audience as we need to. A um, couple of things that I have taken away from these um, presentations, which I think it's important to at least note for myself and I think maybe for others to think about. One is we are really living in a very volatile time. You know, think about how the cost of power has increased. All these um, climate events that we are experiencing is certainly challenging our existing infrastructure. You can see some of that in uh, what is going on in the wastewater side, uh, dealing with you know, one disaster after another, uh, and the systems that we have, some of them are not built for handling some of these um, uh, new challenges we are facing. So it it is, it's just not San Francisco. Almost many, I mean, I've spoken to a lot of different uh, people across the country, and many cities are dealing with these issues, especially when it comes to wastewater investment and cost of wastewater and stormwater management. Um, one of the things that we talked about with the staff was this, uh, this attitude towards proactive actions rather than reactive actions. You saw there was a change in uh, the, uh, the cost or the budget for um, pipe replacement or main replacements. And I think a lot of that we, we learned uh, over the conversations we had was driven by uh, using different ways of approaching that problem, trying to be more proactive, risk-driven, uh, sort of trying to make sure we are, doing, we are investing in the right um, uh, you know, projects rather than just uh, following uh, an outdated matrix of uh, this many miles a year or this many um, pipes a year. Uh, so that's, I want to, you know, bring that up because I think that's a very important thing for people to know. We have asked our team to uh, bring some of those uh, new technologies they're using and uh, present some of the data that they have. Uh, that way everybody can sort of brought up to date and better understand. Um, one thing, I mentioned this last year when we were going through the budget process. That was my first one for SFPC. Um, but I have worked with some of the budget issues related to water for the state. So I want to mention the, the ratio between revenue and debt, um, pay, repaying debt is super important. And we need to pay attention to that, um, especially in this very uncertain time that the revenue is uncertain and things are changing over time. So we, uh, we want to make sure we keep an eye on that. And I know you have brought that up. I know every time this comes up. Uh, but I want to make sure we keep an eye, keep a close eye to that and make sure we are making decisions, keeping in mind that that ratio should not pass a certain threshold um, to make sure we are sustainable, financially sustainable and safe uh, and healthy. Um, 
couple of other things that have come up, which I want to again reiterate. Uh, on contracts we have, uh, we have talked about accountability, risk assessment, deliverability. Um, I, I have brought this up last year too. We need to be better at tracking who, which contractors we work with, how well they deliver their projects that they promised on time, on budget. If the things change, why is that? Were those related to underbidding and getting the contract, or was it related to consequences that, to things that happen that have consequences? For example, who would have expected a pandemic that would last three years and would impact everybody, or a war in Ukraine, or a lot of other things? That there are other uncertainties or shocks that happens um, that we have to be able to handle, but generally we should be able to sort of exactly know who gets uh, you know, access to work with us and deliver projects to us and making sure that they deliver the highest quality and the most uh, you know, efficient um, quality, that, I mean the best quality and the most efficient financially, most efficient uh, project. We just, you know, we've, nobody likes cost overruns and time overruns and any of that. So I, I'm sure I know that this is not a pleasant experience when staff has to come back to us and ask for more money. It's not a very comfortable situation for us to keep approving these projects. So this is not like a, a very easy decision that gets made in both sides of this, um, this equation. So I want to make sure we acknowledge that and we, I want to make sure we can help work with staff to, to have systems in place that we can do better in tracking operating these projects in a more financially sound way. So that's, that is uh, quite important for me. The, the last two things I want to say is, this was mentioned in your presentation. I appreciate that this has come up multiple times. We have different lenses that we are looking at every one of these projects that we are funding. Some of them sometimes don't come. I know you are using them as you are thinking about different projects. For example, uh, affordability is extremely important. We don't want to leave anybody behind. Environmental stewardship. Uh, uh, environmental justice issues, all of those are super important. I know you are making those decisions or thinking about them as you are making decisions. I want to make sure we communicate them as we are making those decisions. So started with communication, ending with communication. We really need to be better in this uh, in communicating what we do, how we make decisions, how we uh, you know what are the different things we do um, and uh, and making sure that we are bringing the public along with us as we are moving forward, uh, because we as commissioners would like to know a lot of those things in details and understand why these decisions are made, but I think public is also, uh, we, we, we are public servants and providing the service to the community. We want to make sure the community understands what it takes to bring water to them, to take the wastewater away and break the electricity to them. It's not easy. Uh, it's not just tap, open your tap, water comes out, and flush the toilet, water, you know, wastewater goes. It's a, it takes a lot to run a system. So I want to make sure they know. And with that, I think I went through on my list. Um, Commissioner Maxwell. Thank you. I was going to wait, but she really brought up something I was going to say. And, and that is, um, I would like to see us aggressively um, look at our um, project management. I'd like us to be aggressively managing our projects. 
I would like us to be aggressively looking at our contracts and making sure we've talked to everybody and that the contracts are right the first time. Those oops cost us millions and millions of dollars. So I think with all of that, when we think about the ratepayer, that would save us money if we really manage what they give us. And we do a great job. I, 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 we do a good job. I just want us to be a little bit more aggressive. All right, so I don't want anyone to think we're not. We are a little bit more aggressive on, on what we do for our ratepayers and for ourselves. So that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Paulson. Can be, and um, but I do believe that um, the diligence and the aggressiveness is. Uh, I don't have any um, blame to throw at any of the um, staff because I really do feel that as a commissioner, I'm very informed as I come through, and I think that all the commissioners will, if they don't feel like they're informed, will um, both whether or not it's a back channel or whether or not it's a, a you know to a staff because they want to bring up a particular question, you know, ahead of a commission meeting or not. Um, that is going to happen, but I, I just want to say that I do believe that I'm proud of the, the work that you guys do and the diligence that you have, and always be on your toes, which I think is what the previous two commissioners are, are uh, emphasizing more so. So anyway, thank you for the work that you do. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. I just wanted to add that, yes. you know, we do appreciate all your feedback and guidance, and this is, these are healthy conversations, and... You know, we will take these. And we're already thinking about next year's budget process just to share with you. So, you know, I uh, just want to thank you for that. And thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That's, I appreciate that. Uh, General Manager. Yeah, uh, President Jami, just uh, so first of all, I want to thank Nancy and Laura and the entire financial staff for all your hard work. You did a great job on this. Um, and, but more importantly, uh, I think Nancy alluded to it, we take... Uh, a great deal of pride in the preparation that um, we all do. And this has been a process. This, this year has been a new process. It's a little bit different than it's been done before, and it, um, it uh, entailed a lot of internal rigor and challenge uh, among staff to do things a little bit uh, different way. And I think it's been a, a very, very worthwhile process, but it hasn't been without any hiccups. And we're the first to admit that we want to make sure that uh, next year when we go through it or in the future, we do even better. So we take your sentiments that you say about things that you would like to see and the rigor that you all put us through through this process in the most positive possible light. And we very much appreciated um, the opportunity to come present before you in these three meetings, but also the other conversations that we have had with various commissioners. We uh, welcome them. 
we think they were incredibly helpful to the process in order to help us be the best that we can be and to learn about where we might have had some holes and what our presentation was. So we um, appreciate um, the conversations that we had with all of you through this process. Uh, we've learned through it and it's been um, uh, something that we take to heart and uh, something that we're going to use to make our presentations going forward even more rigorous and better. So we appreciate that. And to your point, which I get, got brought up uh, at the end about accountability on the contracting side, I just like to say that, you know, a big part of this through the budget process was um, Greg Norby and Steve Robinson um, coming up with uh, new ways of accountability and what we want to see in terms of deliverability and asset management. And we have, uh, I think, some, they've really started to institute some new processes working with our contractors to make sure that we hold people accountable. So I really want to compliment them because we take your sentiments, both of your sentiments, very, very seriously. Thank you so much. I appreciate um, the partnership. Uh, so with that, can we, if there are no more comments, can we have public comment, please? Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on items eight through 11, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Are there members of the public present who wish to provide comment on items eight through 11? Hello again, Peter Dreckmeyer to all of me, Rubitress. Um, I agree that was a really excellent presentation and very honest about challenges ahead. I mean, huge capital spending, debt service, higher rates, and much better to start addressing it now than kicking the can down the road. So um, I applaud staff for the effort going into this. <clears throat> um, you're probably asking yourselves, like, how did we get to this place and what can we do to prevent future commissioners from having to answer that same question? Um, deferred maintenance was a big one. Um, President Ajami referred to some surprises that none of us could expect. But another one is outdated policies that really should be revised, and specifically the design drought, which was uh, produced after the 87 to 92 drought. And in, um, in 2008, with the Water System Improvement Program, crunched the numbers, used the design drought, and there was an, an immediate deficit of two MGD. So there was an attempt to purchase water from Modesto Irrigation District. And in 2012, that came forward. It was uh, for two MGD, not a lot of water, um, $700 an acre foot, take or pay. So whether SFPUC needed it or not, it was $700 per acre foot. And the that died, uh, MID didn't go forward with it. But since then, we've experienced the driest four-year period on record and the driest three-year period on record, but we never had less than three and a half years worth of water in storage. So we never needed that water. We saved $1.5 million per year by that not going through. Um, what you really should be focusing on now is how do we reduce the amount of alternative water supplies that we're looking at. Um, staff has determined 94 MGD. I think it should be a quarter of that or less. And making the, the decision now before the alternative water supply plan is released in July is the great time. So that's a wonderful thing you can do. Revisit the design route. Thank you. Any other members present of the public? Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are three callers in the queue. Thank you. Hello, caller. I've opened your line. You have two minutes to comment. 
Good afternoon, Commissioners. Nicole Sankulabaska, CEO. Boxes supports the recommendations for items 8, 9, and 10 before you today related to your capital plan and budget changes for the water enterprise in Hetchetchee. BOSCA recognizes and agrees that the projects included in the capital plan are needed to assure the operation of the regional water system and that PC should move, move them forward. BOSCA member agencies pay approximately two-thirds of the cost of operating and maintaining the regional water system and are focused on making sure the system is reliable now and in the future. For this reason, BOSCA is actively engaged in all aspects of PUC's capital plan work, including engagement in the development of your capital plans, review of the capital planning documents, and oversight of capital project implementation. And we reviewed all the documents before you and sent uh, letters and appreciate the response letters from the PUC staff. However, in accordance with the water supply agreement, BOSCA did expect earlier and increased engagement with the PUC staff including receiving the draft capital plan adoption materials earlier than received. BOSCA does expect the SFPC to meet all WSA requirements associated with the Commission's adoption of a capital plan moving forward. The Commission's action today is appropriate. However, there remain significant challenges for the successful implementation of the capital plan, such as the ability to hire the required staff. BOSCA wants to, remain, uh, wants to better understand what can be done to help remove bottlenecks that may be present and will support the Commission should there need be actions to do so. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Commissioners, first and foremost, I think none of y'all have really read the RECA Act. You've heard Batswa make some statements. I want to ask you, commissioners, do you think Batwa was part of the RECA Act? You have failed San Franciscans. This presentation, I know the presenter has, has got nothing to do with the presenter, but it's got to do with your policies. The land was stolen. The water was stolen. You got it for free for over a hundred years, from 1913, for over a hundred years, you made a lot of money. In the future, you will not make money. Over 3% of our population, which is about 835,000, have left San Francisco. You have 45 million square feet of commercial space vacant. You have over 70 units, 70,000 units in San Francisco vacant. All the promises you have made to upgrade our water pipes and sewer pipes have not been attained. Now I say to you, as I write in my blogs, if you do not have your heart in the right place, you will not be able to take anybody to a better place. Long presentations, fake statistics, many promises made, but more importantly, lies, lies, and more lies. Thank you for your comments. Sorry, Carl, your time has expired. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. 
I'm Dave Warner from Palo Alto. Uh, the SFPC is in a difficult position with this budget and particularly the 10-year view. And thank you for everyone's efforts in trying to find solutions. I'd like to address affordability. In this budget, there's a metric that says that as long as our combined water and wastewater rates are 2.5% of the median household income, we're fine. And we're well under that percentage. And I think the 2.5% even relates to a state water board guidance. But this is a dangerous and misleading metric for San Francisco and should not be used for rationalizing our water rates. There are at least two big things wrong with the 2.5% metric, and I think you know the issues better than me. Uh, one, of the 25 largest cities in the United States, in 2020, San Francisco had the highest median household income at $119,000, almost double that of Los Angeles. This has happened in the last 30 years, I believe largely because of the tech boom. By using 2.5% of such a high median household income, do we really want to institutionalize such a high bar for justifying our prices? Two, more importantly, and, I'm, and again, I'm sure you know this better than I do, median household income doesn't reflect San Francisco's income equality. In January 2020, the Public Policy Institute of California issued a report that said that the Bay Area had the highest income inequality in California, and San Francisco had the highest income inequality in the Bay Area. The top 5% of San Francisco households made 808,000 compared with 16,000 for the lowest 20%. This means there's a lot of people that will struggle with a water and wastewater bill that's anywhere close to 2.5% of 119,000. If our population had LA's median income, we'd already have broken through 2.5%. Please consider no longer using that metric. Many of the 2.7 million people who rely on our water will appreciate it. A better metric would be to compare our rates to other large California metropolitan areas. I'll provide a copy of my comments for the record. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on items 8 through 11 is closed. Thank you. Commissioner Stacey. Uh, thank you. I have a few comments, but first I wanted to ask a question of Mr. Dreckmeyer, if I may. Sure. Um, I'm not sure I understood your point at the end of your presentation, and you may have run out of time, about the alternative water supply and the numbers, and you were suggesting that the PUC look at lower numbers for alternative water supply? For the amount, yeah. So uh -huh. um, <clears throat> we pay about a little over $2,000 an acre foot for water now. Alternative water supplies like advanced purified water would be about $4,000 an acre foot. So that's a huge capital investment. So we don't want to overbuild. <clears throat> we only want to bring online the water that we need. By removing a year from the design drought, oh, okay. that would reduce uh, demand by about 25 MGD. By using current water demand, or a little bit inflated from where it is right now, that could save 35 MGD. So by only planning for what we are really going to need, and we have to need to have that discussion, um, we could save billions of dollars. And that's not in this capital plan, but it's probably going to be in the next one once uh, we move forward with these projects. Got it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I also I will echo what uh, the commissioners have said before. This is my first budget process, and I really appreciated all of the information that was in the written materials and the questions that staff answered along the way. Um, really great explanations, and it was really helpful to walk um, through that budget process. <clears throat> I also really value the way that this budget was developed. I haven't been here for past budgets, but the balance and the responsibility um, 
uh, to achieve that balance, looking um, at what projects are deliverable and how much they're going to cost in the short term versus how much planning and design we have in the long term, um, I, I think is a really important way of looking at the budget. The really difficult line that we walk is doing what we need to do to the system, both from a capital and operating and renewal and repair point of view, but also being conscious all the time of what this costs our ratepayers on every front, and that is the real struggle here. Um, what can we do responsibly and realistically without overburdening our ratepayers? And that's always going to be a tricky balance. <clears throat> and I really appreciate how much the PUC has apparently focused on that in the last year. Um, I also understand that this 10-year capital plan is not uh, frozen in time, that it is a constantly evolving document, that you are responding to your planning and design, you're responding to circumstances and environmental challenges. We are going to see more and more of those, I think, as um, President Tajami has pointed out, and we are going to have to remain nimble and flexible, and I appreciate the constant evaluation that staff seems to be going through on the projects. Um, as, a, as a policy matter, I look forward to uh, how we respond and how we um, do our part to ameliorate the effects of climate change, whether it's in the water system, looking at more recycling and conservation to give us resiliency um, in the water um, supply realm, to look at how we can recycle more, and maybe that also helps us in the wastewater context and how we um, affect the bay and the ocean. And finally, in the power sector, looking at the climate action plan and always striving to do what we can to provide more clean energy and to reach those climate action plan goals. Just as policy matters looking forward, I, I, I hope that the PUC will continue to focus on those issues. But I really appreciate this effort and the sense of responsibility that the entire organization has put into um, these budget documents. So thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, just one quick thing I would say. I appreciate that, that you brought this up. And I think one, one of the items I had in my list and I forgot to mention was we are in a number of staff and uh, General Manager Herrera uh, and I have been talking a lot about rate-setting process and how we can revisit our rate-setting process to make sure we can ha manage a lot of different issues that are related to affordability, system health and, qual and uh, quality of service, and long-term operation and maintenance in addition to uh, making sure we can continuously promote conservation and efficiency. Um, so that's something that uh, at some point, hopefully, we'll, we'll have a chance to have a discussion uh, uh, with the public and at the commission level, but there, it, some of that is going on. I think Mr. Warner also mentioned something on affordability. I think he's absolutely right, the 2.5% uh, uh, that actually is not a state board number, it's a, a EPA number, the Environmental Protect Protection Agency's number. It is an outdated number, but that's the only measure rather right now a lot of people are using. There have been a lot of efforts going on actually across the country to 
to figure out what is the right percentage or how people need to measure the right percentage to be used for affordability. I have brought a few of those uh, to staff because I was part of some of these discussions a couple of years ago that was done by the Aspen Institute and, and uh, also at the federal level, a few other discussions. Um, this is not a solved issue. Uh, there are some academic efforts that has go on, gone on to use a better number, um, but still um, the jury is out on that. Having said that, I don't necessarily think us looking at other cities is the, only, is the right way. I think every community, depending on their resources, their capacity, what is going on, their system, have different things that they have to handle. Uh, it would be good to have a benchmark that everybody can work towards, but it definitely cannot be just because somebody else's rate is lower, we should have lower rates too. Um, I think it's just important to make sure we can keep our rates affordable and also operate and maintain our system to, the, to its highest quality because we do not want to leave the system uh, in a worse shape it is for the next generation that would not be able to handle it or manage it. Um, so we definitely want to make sure we can protect the health of our infrastructure as much as we can while keeping our prices affordable. Um, with that, if there are no more comments, um, we can uh, have the next item. Oh, we actually motion and a second. Okay, so we need to have, <laughs> I already moved on to the next item. Um, Okay, so we need to approve each one of these items separately. Um, so uh, can I have a motion and, and, a, and a second for item number eight? Move to approve. Second. Uh, can we have a roll call, please? President Ajami? Aye. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. We have five ayes. Thank you. Item passes. Um, can we have? Can I have a motion and second on on item number nine? Move to approve. Second. Uh, can we have a roll call, please? President Jami. Aye. Vice President Maxwell. Aye. Commissioner Paulson. Aye. Commissioner Rivera. Aye. Commissioner Stacy. Aye. We have five ayes. Um, item passes. Can we have a motion and second for item number ten, please? Move, Move. to approve. Second. Uh, can I have the roll call, please? President Jami? Aye. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. You have five ayes. Item passes. Can I have a motion and a second for item number 11, please? M move to approve. Second. <laughs> can we have a roll call, please? President Jami? Aye. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. And you have five ayes. Excellent. Items 8 to 11 passes. Thank you, everybody. Um, hard work, but they made it. Um, could you please, uh, Madam Secretary, could you please read items 12 and 13? Item number 12, approve the form of letter of credit agreement with Bank of America in the principal amount not to exceed $125 million and approve a form of replacement dealer agreements in support of the power commercial program and authorize a general manager to enter into an agreement with Bank of America for a new letter of credit and Barclays, Goldman Sachs, and RBC Capital Markets for an amended dealer agreement related to the program. And item 13, approve a credit facility and dealer agreements for the interim funding program of the wastewater enterprise 
in the form of one revolving credit and term loan agreement and fee agreement with the Bank of America NA for a term of three years and two dealer agreements for Citigroup, Morgan Stanley, RBC Capital Markets and U.S. Bank Corps and authorize the general manager to enter into these associated agreements. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Nikolai Sklaroff, Capital Finance Director. Thank you for hearing each of these items together. Uh, Vice President Maxwell, if I may borrow one of your phrases in the last uh, segment, one of the ways we uh, actively manage the cost of our debt program is through the use of commercial paper. Uh, the commercial paper is a short-term instrument, so it has a lower interest rate, and it also allows us to aggregate our expenditures and do uh, less frequent but larger bond issues that uh, then secure uh, better rates in the marketplace. In order to do that, e each of our enterprises has letters of credit in the, in the marketplace to secure that commercial paper. And uh, as we have done periodically in the past, last in May with you, uh, we renew those uh, letters of credit. Um, and we have two coming due, uh, $125 million currently with Sumitomo uh, Bank uh, for the power enterprise, and a, a second one for $100. Uh, $50 million for the wastewater enterprise currently with Bank of America. So we conducted a competitive uh, process. We uh, issued an RFP for 18 uh, banks in the pre-qualified uh, pool. Uh, eight of those banks uh, submitted proposals in December. And from that, we selected B of A for both the uh, power and the wastewater based on price. And as a result, our price for these letters of credit will be reduced from the prior price uh, for the power. It will go from 35 basis points, so that's 0.35% to 0.29%. Uh, and uh, on the wastewater, we reduced one basis point to 27 basis points. So we, we will be saving money through this. In Concurrently, at this point, we don't always do this in conjunction with the letters of credit, but we, we are now at the point where we need to renew the dealers as well. The dealers are the ones who solicit uh, the orders. Uh, they uh, also were selected through a competitive process to 33 firms in the city's uh, pool. Uh, we received 13 proposals. Uh, as in the past, the cost on all of them um, is five basis points of the selected firms. One firm uh, uh, offered a, f a fee of four and a half basis points, but we want to have multiple firms on each of, of the programs. So uh, with that, I'd uh, be happy to answer any questions about this, but this is an important part of maintaining uh, the commercial paper and the first of these facilities expires in March. Thank you. Any questions? We always like to save money. So uh, with that, uh, I appreciate your efforts to make sure we all stay competitive. And I'm so glad to hear there were a lot of people who wanted to bid for this, since we <laughs> always have that problem when it comes to our infrastructure projects. <laughs> so, yeah. so I guess uh, we are doing something right there. 
I appreciate that. Um, can we have public comment on this, please? Thank you. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on items number 12 and 13, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present to provide comment on item numbers 12 and 13? Seeing that, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers wishing to be recognized. Thank you. Public comment on items number 12 and 13 is closed. Thank you. If there are no more comments, can I, can I have a motion and a second? Move to approve. For item 12? To, oh, sorry. Two different items. That's correct. Uh, can I have a motion and a second on item number 12? Move to approve. Second. Can, I, can we have a roll call, please? President Jami? Aye. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. And you have five ayes? Excellent. That item passes. Can we have a motion and second for item number 13? Move to approve. Second. Can we have a roll call, please? President Jami? Aye. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. And you have five ayes? Excellent. Thank you so much, Mr. Scholl. Uh, so uh, with that, um, both item passes. Can we move to item number 14, please? Item number 14, update the water waste restrictions for the use of potable water for construction or demolition projects <laughs> contained in Section E, Rule 12 of the SFPUC's Rules and Regulations Governing Water Service to Customers to provide additional detail regarding the restrictions and the process for requesting an exemption. Good afternoon again, Commissioners. Steve Ritchie, Assistant General Manager for Water. Uh, this is an item that is intended to simply clean up our uh, water waste restrictions under our rules and regulations. Uh, basically, the, the four things that are contained in here are specifying that potable water is not allowed for specific purposes when recycled water, well water, or groundwater are available. Uh, would remove the reference to the use of foundation drainage, uh, which isn't required by Article 21 and not available really in sufficient quantities for construction and demolition purposes. Specify that any use of recycled water for construction or demolition purposes must comply with the requirements of all the appropriate regulatory agencies uh, and describe the process uh, in more detail for a construction and demolition project to request a temporary water supply from the low pressure fire hydrants. Um, if, the, if, if we determine that recycled water, well water, and groundwater are not available. Uh, so it's a pretty straightforward uh, set of amendments, and I'd be happy to answer any questions. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Stacy. Uh, I have a question, Mr. Ritchie, if you um, have an, any sense of how successful we are at using non-potable water on the construction sites. Do you have sort of an overall picture um, of that? Um, you know, our, how successful are we? Actually, I, I really couldn't give you a specific answer off the top of my head. Uh, I know that uh, that's one of the things that we've been working on uh, with the Southeast plant uh, and ultimately with the Oceanside plant uh, to try to make sure we're using it more for <coughs> construction purposes. That's not really very easy to do right now at the Southeast plant site, just given the amount of construction going on there. I presume, and I'll, I'll make a, a wild assumption here that they're using a lot of non-potable water at that site right now for, for dust control. Um, in terms of uh, things that we do with, with other uh, contractors and with buildings, of course, we have our, our uh, non-potable ordinance where people are actually required to use it on site wherever possible. 
so uh, I think this is something that we are constantly keeping after trying to make sure that, that contractors are using appropriate water when it's available. Okay, thank you. Excellent. Actually, I had a similar question. I was wondering actually how you're tracking uh, if this is happening, which is, I think, in the other side of the question yeah. that Commissioner I, actually, is I, asking. Actually, I don't have the answer to, to that right now, but we can come back with an answer on, on how sure. we're doing that. Question for you, Mr. Ritchie. When, uh, when construction happened, I'm assuming there is a sort of like a, I don't know, a different signal in the water use uh, patterns of that site, whatever site is, right? So I wonder if some, crunching some of the numbers that we are getting from the smart meters can help us to figure out if these people in these sites, uh, construction sites, if they are, how their water use changes and if they're using a lot of potable water. Well, during construction, they're not actually using water from the site. They have to bring it in. Usually it involves, you know, demolition, so it's not right. part of the normal supply. So we can't measure that particularly meaningfully. Okay. Uh, you know, sort of the pre-building and the after-building, we can, we can do that and make comparisons uh, between the... Oh, so when they're doing occurred. construction, they bring that... I mean, I, I always see, like, there is a hose somewhere in the side, in the well, corner Well, oftentimes it's to a fire hydrant someplace. Oh, okay. Good to know. Okay, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. It'd be good to be able to figure that out. Yeah, um, that's, the, that's the contractor's water, not the site's water. That's sort of, that's the difference there. That's the difference, okay. Commissioner Paulson. So just on the same line of questions, um, and I know there's, in, on construction sites, there's a lot of, you know, trucks. They bring in trucks full of water also, potable water if they need it, not just the fire hydrants. Is, the, is there any red flag? I mean, you mentioned Ocean Beach, um, you know, where, you know, they just, they need more water than they can probably get because of the construction site and it's such a big job that it's not all potable water that they use, you sort of back of envelope. It, um, Mention that, but are there any other red flags where a contractor will call in and say, man, I'm just, I just can't get enough and I just want to make sure that I'm in, okay with the ordinance? Are there any red flags that are driving uh, Well, this? that's why we're specifying more clearly how we allow for uh, the use of uh, hydrant water. We want to make sure that uh, there's not particular red flags. And it was, it was not Ocean Beach, it was at the southeast plant that that construction is occurring. Uh, that's where they're going to be using a lot more water locally from the site, got hopefully. It. Okay, I got it. Thanks. Thank you. If there are no more questions, can we have public comment, please? Thank you, Mr. Ricci. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number 14, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present to provide comment on item 14? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item 14 is closed. Colleagues, can I have a motion and a second on this item, please? Move to approve. Second. So can we have a roll call, please? Aye. President Jamie, aye. Uh, Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. Yeah, five ayes. Excellent. Item passes. Um, Madam Secretary, could you please read the next item? Yeah, I'd like to first announce that item number three announced that item number 15 has been pulled from this agenda and will be rescheduled to the meeting of February 28th. 
Item number 16, authorize the general manager of the SFPUC to execute an amended and restated memorandum of understanding with the San Francisco Recreation and Parks Department regarding the management of a portion of the SFPUC's Lake Merced lands. Again, Steve Ritchie, Assistant General Manager for Water. If I could have the slides, please. Uh, there's a very brief presentation here, uh, which uh, this is a memorandum of understanding between the SFPUC and the Recreation and Parks Department. Uh, it surrounds Lake Merced. It's all about the management of Lake Merced and the lands around Lake Merced. Uh, Lake Merced, uh, just for the Commission's information, was part of the assets we acquired in 1930 from the Spring Valley Water Company. At that time, uh, it had been part of San Francisco's water supply, uh, and then uh, uh, over time, uh, that supply has not been needed because we developed uh, other supplies. So now, it technically is our true, you know, ultimate emergency supply, not for potable uses or anything like that, but just if there's a need for, for water and some purposes, uh, that's what it can be used for. Uh, but in the meantime, it actually serves uh, as a great amenity in San Francisco for recreation and other things. Uh, so back in uh, 1950, there was a resolution by the the Board of Supervisors, you know, basically making it clear that Recreation and Park Department was responsible for recreation uh, in the Lake Merced area, but again, it's the PUC's lands for a lot of uh, different good reasons. Um, so this slide, the single slide that I have really uh, is an overview map of Lake Merced uh, and it's three, you know, four basic lakes, uh, the North Lake, the East Lake, the South Lake, which is the main body of the lake, uh, and then the impound lake, this kind of tiny little, you know, leg down at the bottom. Uh, so it's broken into those four segments. Um, and the dominant feature here, of course, is, is Harding Park Golf Course uh, in, in, the center of the, uh, in the center of the lake. Uh, but it is uh, a beautiful area, and there's lots of recreation in there. So this MOU uh, really was a long time uh, in getting made. It's actually replacing one that we uh, adopted several years ago. Uh, we had to work pretty hard with our staff uh, and uh, Rec and Park staff to really get clear on a number of issues. So it really lays out the responsibilities between uh, Rec and Park and the SFPUC. Uh, it provides specifically for RPD management of recreation activities at various sites, particularly Harding Park, Lake Merced West, or the old Pacific Rod and Gun Club, slide, con, Pacific Rod and Gun Club site, uh, and Sunset Circle. Uh, it clearly provides uh, for our access for all necessary utility activities, uh, some routine, uh, but also at all times for emergency access. Uh, we need to have that. Uh, and it provides for our management of the lake and its biological resources in cooperation with uh, Rec and Park. Uh, so this has been a lot of work. I want to thank our uh, partners at Rec and Park, Dana Ketchum and Denny Kern, who did a lot of work on this, but also very much the PUC staff, uh, particularly Owen Zvedi uh, and uh, Rosanna Russell, who put in many, many hours of trying to pull this together. There were some contentious points. Uh, it's, it's interesting when you talk about needing access for construction and there's been a long planned foot race for example or something like that and how you uh, in a place like San Francisco make those work and I think this document does that. Uh, so I'd be happy to answer any questions. Excellent. Commissioner Paulson. Uh, I cancel. Thanks. Oh, okay. Uh, just on a personal note, I would say when I was on the regional board, uh, we, we were looking at the um, 
lead because of the shooting range that's there, all the lead that was in the water due to the uh, ammunition that was being used. I don't know mm -hmm. that's the right lead word. Lead shot, yeah. Yes. And um, I remember we looked at that. And pers on a per another personal note, my son actually rose on that lake, so I'm always very personally very attached to the quality and existence of that lake. So thank you so much for maintaining yeah. it and operating Actually, it. Actually, that, that brings up a comment that I'd like to make that uh, uh, we did perform a lot of cleanup of that yes. site uh, so that it's available for recreation. Uh, Rec and Park has just been through a, um, uh, an EIR process to provide for the rest of the site. And so one of the things, activities that's going to happen as a result of that is the removal of the remaining buildings on the site. Um, unfortunately, which underneath the buildings, there are definitely more remnants of lead shot and others, which we'll be responsible for the cleanup for uh, as part of making it available for full public use in the future. Yeah, and I believe they were supposed to change the ammunition that you use for shooting or to make sure the in the future that doesn't happen, right? If, do I remember that correctly? Well, yeah, just as, as an overall lead shot issue, yeah. they've, they've changed the bismuth as the, uh, uh, the <coughs> excuse me, the metal used in shot metal like use, that. Yes. Lead shot uh, is not used in these kind of situations anymore. Anymore. Okay. Thank you so much uh, for the details. No more comments. Uh, thank you, Mr. Ricci. Uh, can we have public comment, please? Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number 16, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present to provide comment on item number 16? Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item number 16 is closed. Colleagues, if there are no more comments or questions, can I have a motion and a second, please? Move to approve. Second. Uh, can we have a roll call, please? President Jami? Aye. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. You have five ayes. Excellent. Um, item passes. Thank you. Uh, can, Madam Secretary, could you please read the next item? Item number 17 is your communications information item. Colleagues, any uh, comments or questions on the communication items? Okay. No. If not, uh, next item, please. Next item is item 18, general public comment. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on matters that are within the commission's jurisdiction and are not on today's agenda, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present to provide general public comment? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are two callers in the queue. Thank you. Hello, caller. I've opened your line. You have two moment, two minutes for general public comment. I'm Dave Warner from Palo Alto. I just wanted to say thank you, commissioners, for your comments and questions regarding budget items, including educating me on the affordability metrics. Uh, uh, thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Eileen Bogan with Speak, Sunset Parkside Education and Action Committee. Repeating my comments made at the Capital uh, Planning Committee yesterday. Regarding Sunset Reservoir, as it sits on the side of the hill, Sunset Reservoir is technically classified as a dam. And should this dam rupture, it would cause significant damage to the neighborhood. 
The solar panels on North Basin came online in 2010 with the solar array owned and operated by Recurrent Energy. In 2013, the solar array was sold to Duke Energy of North Carolina. Both contracts were long-term with the option for the PUC to purchase at any point. Speak would strongly urge the PUC to exercise this option. Although the solar array came online in 2010, Speak's advocacy for solar panels began in 2004 as part of the community outreach for the North Basin, North Basin seismic retrofit. It's only now, almost 20 years later, that the PUC is finally embracing the concept of that Speak advocated for starting in 2004. For those who would be dismissive of the outside lands, the West Side and Speak have been forward thinking and advocating for innovative solutions in the neighborhood. In recent years, Speak has been advocating for thin film solar on South Basin as a cost-effective and viable alternative to solar panels, which are infeasible until South Basin has been seismically retrofitted. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item number 18 is closed. Excellent. Um, colleagues, uh, I guess next item, please. Yes, your ex next item is item number 19, items initiated by commissioners. Sure. Uh, colleagues, any uh, items to initiate uh, for future discussions uh, you would like to be considered? Hearing none. Um, Next item, please. Uh, do we need public comment? Comment? No, no, because no items. Okay. Uh, next item, please. So the next item is um, a public comment for the items to be heard during closed session. So we have two things. One is um, I need to recuse myself from item number twenty-three because. Oh, do we? Do you need to? Let me yes, go ahead. First. Please, yes. please go. Um, I'll read public comment and then you can yes, both ahead, make your please. announcement. Yes, of course. Um, members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on the following items to be heard during closed session. Item number 22, conference with legal counsel regarding existing litigation, Bridge Housing Corporation versus City and County of San Francisco, proposed settlement of an unlitigated claim for property damage resulting from a ruptured water main with the city to pay Bridge Housing $100,000 in exchange for a full and final release subject to approval by the Board of Supervisors. And item number 23, conference with legal counsel regarding unlitigated claim. Various unlitigated regulatory claims regarding San Francisco's combined sewer system operations, San Francisco Bay Regional Water Quality Control Board versus City and County of San Francisco, unlitigated claim and stipulation, City and County of San Francisco versus the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, and City and County of San Francisco versus the California State Water, Contro Water Resources Control Board. Please press star three if you wish to raise your hand to speak on these items. Do we have any members of the public present who wish to provide comment on closed session items 22 and 23? None, Mr. Moderator. Do we have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers wishing to be recognized at this time. Thank you. Public comment on uh, closed session items is closed. Excellent. Uh, thank you so much. I. Uh, as many of you know, I used to be on the Regional Water Quality Control Board. Um, so uh, due to that, I need to recuse myself from item number 20, 
three, I believe. Um, I just want to make sure. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. Okay. Um, and uh, so uh, that is um, for me. And then I know Commissioner Stacy will uh, request her your request your recusal from the IDRIDM. Yes, Madam President, um, I'm going to ask the Commission to excuse me from the closed session on item 22. Bridge Housing is a client of my husband's firm, Letty Madam Stacy, and so I ask to be excused from that item. Excellent. I need a, a motion and a second to approve. So moved. Second. And can we have a roll call, please? President Ajami? Aye. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. And Commissioner Stacey? Aye. Five ayes. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, Police, may I have a motion and a second better to assert uh, the attorney-client privilege? Move to assert. Second. Can we have a roll call, please? President Ajami? Aye. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacey? Aye. And you have five ayes. Excellent. I guess we move to the closed session. Yes. TV, San Francisco Government Television.
SF.GOV.TV San Francisco Government Television
We are back now. Um, just, uh, I need a motion and a second on whether to disclose the discussion during the closed session. I think I have to make an announcement. Oh. Um, okay. Go ahead, please. announce that the commission recommends that the Board of Supervisors approves the settlement under closed session item 22. No other action was taken. Excellent. Now, can we have a can I have a motion and a second whether to disclose the discussion during the closed session? So moved. Go ahead. Second. M motion to not not disclose if that's where we're going. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Can I have a roll call, please? President Jami? Aye. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. You have five ayes. Excellent. I think we are done for the day, right? Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Mm -hmm. uh, see you all in two weeks. Thank you. Thank you.